Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. I'm joking. Everyone all right? Everyone good? Good. Um, well, when Kevin asked me to speak, I knew instantly, like, I was like, oh, I hope like, I get to talk about what I want. And he gave me that freedom. So, uh, yeah, he's a brave man. But, um, my God's just been speaking to me about the gospel, like, so much. And, like, just revelation after revelation about how we look at the gospel, what it is, what it looks like for our lives, how we uh, preach the gospel, I guess. And I just haven't, for the past couple of months, haven't been able to get out of the gospel, I guess. So I just wanted to kind of uh, impart that to you. Uh, but just to encourage you, like, I know that even in service, it's late. Um, especially, like, normally I switch off in Kevin's talks as well. So <laughs> just don't. But I just encourage you, like, don't switch off. Like, keep switched in. Like, I don't want you to miss out. Like, I think God has something for you. And I think, um, I just want to, I guess, share that and impart that. So, uh, yeah, just encourage you. Um, <laughs> thanks, Neil. Um, no, so I, I thought I'd start here. I, um, I remember when I was, I was 14 years old, and we're doing this missions week uh, with my church uh, in London, and we're at, like sort of street evangelizing, I guess. Uh, and I'm only 14 years old, but I'm, like, I'm a passionate kid, right? I'm like, I want to share Jesus with someone. I want to see someone saved. That's just, I just want one person to be saved. And I was so desperate for this person to be saved that I, I rummaged through this bag of tracks, right? That's how desperate I was, like... And, um, and I found this track on um, intelligent, the intelligent design argument, which is essentially like the world is so well made that there has to be a God. And it starts talking about this banana. Now, I thought this was a good idea. And I was like, this is, this is smart. This is good. This is a good opener. And I'm so nervous about, I guess, just speaking to someone about Jesus. So I'm sort of, I see my friend and he's talking to these two girls, flirting away. And I'm like, all right, it's time for just Jesus time. All right? I'm going to go over. And uh, these girls will get saved, and it's going to be amazing. What a testimony. And I'm trying to think on my opening line. And I was torn between, have you seen a banana, or do you know God? <laughs> and then I go over, and again, like, I'm, I'm seriously passionate, right? And in my nerves, I just go, do you know a banana? <laughs> and at that point, like, I've completely lost their attention. They're gone. Um... But I had to plow on, right? I'd like, they're looking at me like, what? And they're like, uh, I don't know. I've seen a banana. I don't know a banana, personally. Um, and I continue to talk about this banana. I kid you not. I'm, this is not one word of a lie. It's, it's quite cool, but inappropriate. But anyway, a banana has five edges to it, which means, and your hand, when closed, has five edges to it. So I start talking about how the banana perfectly fits into a human hand. I continue to talk about how a banana tells you when it's ready and ripe to eat. A banana, it has easy access because you just peel it away. And I keep talking and talking about this banana. Complete, these girls are losing it, wetting themselves, laughing. But I'm just so desperate to get something of, of Jesus across. And I just continue, My friend has walked away at this point. He's not even going to bail me out. And I said, how good is God? Do you want to be, be a Christian? And they just sort of, they never... Uh, if I had a banana, I think they would have been saved, but um, I do, I do, but I didn't, and they walked away, and they will, they will probably never, never be saved. 
Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was bad. It was a bad experience. But I think you know sometimes with the gospel, that's what we try and do, right? We try and dress it up in a different way, or we give it like an intelligent argument, or we give it a nice media presentation, or something like along those lines. And we sometimes just distract from the point of the gospel. It's like a, you know, you go across window shops and they're dressed nicely. I think that's what we do with the gospel sometimes. And we try and wrap it in something nice. And actually all we're doing is just adding flesh to it. We're just adding man-made stuff to the gospel. And the power of the gospel isn't in the man-made stuff. And actually I took away from the gospel by trying to add on something cool, like a banana. I think, you know, our, our add-ons are just, they're just sometimes useless. They're like, um, they're like mums when you lose stuff, useless. It's like, they always ask this question, right, when you lose something. You're like, mum, I've, I've lost my wallet. Have you seen it? It's got to be somewhere. Oh, thanks, mum. Do you know what I thought for a second? I thought I was going crazy. Normally followed by this question, where did you have it lost? Again, mum, if I knew where I had it lost, uh, it wouldn't be lost, and I'd have it, so thank you very much. Um, I think that's what our add-ons to the gospel are like. Um, And you see, the gospel message, if you see it as just simply a message, you start to add stuff onto it, because you're like, it's it's an old message now, it's uh, it's been around for a couple of of years now, and... um, (laughs) Maybe it's not quite like up to date, up to scratch, so we'll add something to it. We'll, 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 we'll wrap it in something nice. And, uh, and I think when you see the gospel as a message, you lose it. But if you see the gospel as a person, it very much changes the way you do Christianity, the way you do evangelism, the way you see the gospel. I want to look at a story. It's in Matthew uh, 19, 16 to 22. Uh, Jesus is kind of exchanging with this, with this rich man, He says in 16, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's a pretty fair question. It it seems like, okay, it's a fair question. God, I want to know what it is I need to do to gain eternal life. But I actually think this guy's heart is in a different place to what the question seems like. I think this guy's heart is, Jesus, I want to know what it is that I need to do in order that I can gain something off of you. I want something from you. I want eternal life. How do I get that thing? How do, how do I get that? And uh, I love Jesus' response uh, in the next verse. Um, he's so smart, isn't he? He goes, uh, 17, um, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I love this. Look how Jesus just shifts the question. What is it? You, you ask me what's good? No, no. The question is, who's good? That's the question here. It's not about the what, it's about the who. That's the center point of the gospel. Jesus continues, 18. Which ones he inquired? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What is it that I still lack? You can almost... See the arrogance of his heart. And Jesus says, 21, Jesus answered, Well, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Again, Jesus completely shifts the focus. This guy's question is, God, what is it that I am lacking in? Jesus says, It's not about your lack, it's you have too much. 
Your problem is, is that you've got too much. Give it away. That's, that, that's, that's Jesus' response to him. He completely flips the question again. This guy hasn't understood the very point of the gospel. And he's speaking to the person who can give him everything he wants. He's speaking to the point of the gospel and he completely misses it. Because he's so obsessed with the what. What is it I can gain? What is it I have to do? And I love that Jesus saves himself as this ultimate reward. At the end he goes, give all your possessions away. You'll gain eternal life. You'll have treasures in heaven. And at that point, you can follow me. Jesus reserves himself as the ultimate prize right at the end. And what's this guy's response? Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, I think so often we can focus on the what of the gospel that we completely miss the who. It's like preaching a kingdom without a king. It doesn't make any sense. It falls. It's ineffective. It won't last. It won't go on. You preach a kingdom without the king. You see, the moment that a king entered this man's kingdom, this rich man's kingdom, the moment that it was like, you want to follow me? Give everything away. The moment a king entered in, it collapsed for him. Because he was his own king. He loved being his own king. So what does it look like to preach a gospel of the what and not the who? I think there's kind of two extremes. There's the one extreme that says, this is what you have to do. This is, the, this is, our, this is our code of conduct, I guess. And we sit in the church and we go, you're so wrong. You're so away from God. You're such a dirty sinner. You know, it's like we push it away and we go, this is what you need to do if you want to become a Christian. Do these things and then you can gain something. You can have eternal life. And the flip side of that is, well, this is what you can get if you become a Christian. You can have all these things. You can have purpose and destiny and you can have blessing and health. And you know what? I totally think both of those things are in the Bible. I read it there. I agree. But it's missing the point. The point isn't the what, it's the who. And if we preach the what, they will miss the who. There's a verse... In the Bible, it sums it up really nicely. It talks about what it is to have a kingdom without a king. It's in Judges um, 21, 25. It says this. Uh, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Anyone kind of relate to this? This is the moment that the supply teacher walks into the room. Okay? <laughs> you're sitting in class. You're waiting for the teacher to come in. Put your, your, your books out and stuff. Supply teacher walks in. But slides back into the bag. <laughs> Chaos entails. I used to have so much fun with supply teachers. My favorite thing was to do was just to shout earthquake and everyone would wrestle the, wrestle, flip the tables over and dive under the desks. At one point we kind of convinced the teacher there was an earthquake. What's it? Panicking around. Or you pretend there's a bee in the room. You get your mate going, bzz, bzz. everyone's like, miss, I'm allergic to bees. I'm allergic. And then you sort of swap the air. Like, the teacher would be freaking out and... Um, or you'd, uh, you'd slowly edge the tables closer as they were white. I was like, that's an old classic. I turn around and. Uh, um. Has anyone seen the film iRobot? Yeah, and then there's Will Smith in front of like tons of robots, and he goes, uh, he's calling for this one robot. Which one of you, Sully or whatever? And they all go, one of us. Well, that's how we decided to answer the register once to a supply teacher. It was like, uh, Ekram Ali, one of us. Yeah. She was freaked. She had to get another teacher in to like, calm us down. 
But that, that's what it is to have a kingdom without a king. Everyone does what they want. I, I, I will do what is right in my eyes. Maths was not right in my eyes at that point in time when Spiritus walks in the room. Here's the problem. John says this in John 3.19. I love this. He says, this is the verdict. This is John's, like, I guess, his verdict on life, I guess. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but, dark, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. When you're in darkness, you, you can't see beyond yourself. You know when you like, I guess you wake up and it's dark in the morning, you, or, you can, or you've been in that pitch black room, and all you can see is kind of your hand, you, you, just in front of your face. You can't see beyond yourself. That's what it is to live in darkness. See, that rich man is that he couldn't see beyond himself, his own need. But I've got a lot of money, and you're telling me to give that away and come follow you? I, I can't do that. I, I can't see beyond myself and my own need. Or, or I'm number one. I'm the king. And you're asking me to put that aside? John eight twelve says this. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yeah. All right, so what is this light? What does it mean that Jesus says he's the light of the world? What does that actually look like? What does that mean? I think it means, uh, I think, there's one thing I, I think it doesn't mean. I don't think it means that darkness is completely eradicated. Um, I think that's just evident. And when we look at, you know, flick over to the news, I think it's evident that darkness isn't eradicated. But I think it means this. Number one, the world has no other light than Jesus. So for him to call himself, I am the light of the world, means there's no other light. If there's going to be a source of light in the world, it's not going to come from some philosophy or some politician or some way of thinking, way of life, some pursuit of something. It will only ever come from Jesus. The world was literally tailor-made to that light. He, he actually spoke out the world. From that light came the world. There's no other light. There's no third alternative. So what we don't need to preach is some ideology, some philosophy. They don't need that. They need the light. They need Jesus. Number two. Therefore, if Jesus is the only light of the world, then for everyone to get out of darkness, which is a good thing, they need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Flat out, periodically, full stop. Jesus is the changing factor. Not the... Not, the, not this stuff of, the what, of what you can gain, not the code of contact, not the morals, not the way of life. The only thing that will change people from death to life is Jesus. Yeah. From sickness to health is Jesus. He's, he's the catalyst. He's the change. He's the change agent, I guess. I, I, I look at my friends and I look at the world and all I see is this desperate cry for someone worthy of serving other than themselves because I speak to my friends and, and they talk about how they're doing life like it doesn't, it's not working and they go I know I know it doesn't work I'm not good at it they're crying out for someone who is worthy a, a, a king that is worthy to be served but we're busy focusing and telling them that you can have all this or you need to do that when the very thing that they need is Jesus yeah. the who of the gospel not the what You know, Jesus. Uh, just as a um, just as like a side note, if you see 
the gospel as, as a message, just a message, just words, then I think actually you see evangelism as an activity. I hate evangelism. Like, I'm just going to say that like out and out. I, I absolutely, it makes me die inside, honestly. <laughs> like, and if it's your calling, you know, then, yeah, it's good for you, you know. Um, I, I just struggle with it so much. I find it so difficult. And I'd love to be able to evangelize the world. Um, I'll just, I just mix up my words and talk about bananas. But... Um, <laughs> But if you see the gospel as essentially a person, it changes the way you do evangelism. Because yeah. evangelism, how do you introduce a person to someone? It's through a relationship, not as yeah. some activity. Yeah. And I think for the Christian, the way we do evangelism is we do it in partnership with God. Actually, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think that was a model that, uh, that Jesus actually set out for us. Uh, I think he says that I only ever do what I see my Father doing. Even Jesus, even Jesus needed to do it in partnership with someone yeah. as he went through life. He says, I only ever do what I see my father doing. What does that mean? It meant that he always walked in victory. Everywhere he went, the father had gone before him, winning the battles before him. So all he did is just walk into victory after victory after victory. And it's the same with us. I think so often, that the way, um, I'll just give you an example. Farming, okay, I don't know a thing about farming, but I do know this. In Jewish times, the way they farmed was they used to sow, they used to scatter the seed and then plough the land where the seed fell. But in Greek farming or, or modern day farming is we plough the land and then we sow the seed. You see, the difference is, is that the, Jew, the Jewish way of farming seems easier to me because it's, well, I'm ploughing the land where the seed has already fallen. I'm, it's not a fruitless labour that I'm just churning land where no seed is. Jesus always ploughed land where seed was. He saw, he did, he did what he saw his father doing. Yeah. In Acts, he talks about um, Jesus. What is it Jesus says before the disciples go on, on and do all the cool stuff in Acts? He says, "Wait upon the Holy Spirit and empower the Holy Spirit. Then go out and do what you did." The amount of countless times in Acts. Read it for yourself. It says, "In the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul went out. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter spoke. In the power of the Holy Spirit, someone did something." Always in partnership with the Holy Spirit, what God was already wanting to do. Joining in with that, it's an easier way to do evangelism. So much easier. And I think if we want to walk in partnership with the Holy Spirit, just two really quick things. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit and do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve, what does it mean? This isn't my thing, so I can't claim it. I wish I could, but I've seen it done before. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's simply this. People looking like, hmm? If the Holy Spirit is like a dove, right, in the Bible, everything, if I want him to stay, every movement I make is in consciousness of the dove. So everything I do as I go about my daily life, I'm in consciousness, I'm constant awareness of the dove if I want him to stay. I'm not going to want to freak out and freak the bird out. That's what it means to not, that's what, that's what it means to not grieve the Holy Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Don't do the opposite of that. That grieves him. That upsets him. He wants only the best for you. That's what it means to not grieve him. That's the first boundary, I guess. And the second is, and that's in um, Ephesians 4.30. Just in case anyone's like, that's on the Bible. Um, And then 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, um, do not quench the Spirit. I promise. Um, It'll come up. So 1 Thessalonians says, uh, 1519 says, do not quench him. What does that mean? It means just feed it. 
Feed the Holy Spirit in your life. What does that look like? This is not just a Sunday. That's your every day. It's your every day. It's just, you know, I want to stick a CD in my car on my way to work and just worship. That's feeding the right stuff. What are you watching? It's feeding the right... What are you feeding? Are you feeding the Holy Spirit? Do not quench Him. Do not grieve Him. And if you can walk between those two barriers, eventually in life you'll, you bump along and eventually you learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit. And if you can walk with the Holy Spirit, you will constantly walk in victory because you're doing it in co-labor. It's a better way to evangelize. It's a better way to evangelize. Out of relationship. Isaiah 9 says this. This is a really nice summary of kind of what I guess I'm trying to say. Isaiah says this. Isaiah 9 2. Um, <clears throat> the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Can I challenge you? When was the last time you just spent time actually rejoicing in the gospel, in just Jesus and who he is and what he did for you? As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Verse 4, For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, that's the law. He shattered it. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Sounds like we could do with a bit of that right now, to me. From that time on and forever. I love the, I love the way that Isaiah just sums that up for us. But what is it that brings all the what? All the stuff, all the things, all the what? The righteousness and, the, and all these big words. What is it that brings it? back in uh, verse 6 for us the child is born it is all about the who of the gospel not about the stuff not about the what the good news is this there is a man, a person who is worth everything absolutely everything it's a more powerful message his ways are perfect his government is one of peace justice and righteousness is the answer to every single one of our problems but there's a problem. He wants to be king. And you know, that's a real stumbling block for a lot of people. And I'm partly okay with that. Because I'm not going to apologize for what the gospel says. The essence, the very essence of the gospel. Out of fear, I'm not going to water it down and hide that truth and present something else and present it nicely wrapped as it's, oh, this is a nicer message. It's difficult, it's a stumbling block. But it doesn't change the gospel the gospel is about a person and he wants to be king. Kevin spoke about this a while ago. He spoke, the gospel is foolishness to so many people because the very entrance to the kingdom has the most ridiculous, stupid looking door you've ever seen. And the door's the cross. And it means you have to walk into his kingdom, hands up, completely through and go, I'm number two, you're number one. This is all about you. It begins and ends with you. What's my motivation for church, getting up in church in the morning? It's not about what I'm going to go and get from church. Whilst I get so much, it's all about 
He's always worthy. doesn't matter my situation. He's always worthy of me getting out of bed, however early it is, walking in the rain if Sophie's on worship or something, in the wind, doing my hair and getting it ruined by the wind. He's always worthy of me getting myself out of bed, coming to church and worshipping him. Always. As um, as uh, these parables in uh, in Matthew, and I'll, I'll finish on this. Matthew thirteen uh, forty four says this: The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, I love that in his joy, it was an absolute joy to do it. He went and sold all he had and bought that field. Forty five. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Now, I have a lot of friends who are looking for fine pearls. They're looking just for something to grab hold of. Something to just take a hold of. Something that's worth it. Something that's worth their while, worth their effort. I see that everywhere I go. But 46 says this, When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. All his fine pearls previously, he sold them because he found one of great, great value. If we preach a what instead of a who, we completely remove the value of the message of the gospel. We completely remove the value. Jesus is worth absolutely everything and he's got to be the centre of our gospel. He's got to be the centre of what we are talking about to our friends. He's got to be the centre of, of our lives every day. It just has to be. If we want to change Aberdeen, if we want to see our friends and our communities touched, they're not going to be touched by a what, they're going to be touched by a person. His name is Jesus. He's been doing it for thousands of years. The gospel is not a message that says, do this and you'll be saved. It's not a message that says, you will get this and then it will be great for you in your life. No, it's not that. It says, there's a, there's a Paul who's worth everything. His name is Jesus. And if you can just enter his kingdom, arms spread wide and say, I'm number two. You're king of my life. You are number one. You will have, he will give you so much, so much joy, so much life. That's there for you if you could just accept him as king. Number one, Jesus. The gospel's a who and not a what. I just want to close our eyes. I'm just going to pray. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.